Hello there, this is Dan with COVID. I tell you that only to distinguish myself from Dan without COVID, who you'll be hearing for most of this episode. But it is going to be a little bit unusual. Dan with COVID is going to be interrupting Dan without COVID a couple of times during the episode. You see, the main topic of this episode is a discussion between Stella and myself about the 1971 movie Duel. Or, as I've realised most Americans would refer to it, Duel. Now, in the episode, Stella and I talk about how this movie was originally made for TV and then expanded into a feature film released in theatres. And we talk about how we'd very much like to see the original shorter version of the film and we'd never seen it. Well, straight after the recording, I did the really obvious thing which I should have done before recording and checked YouTube. And yes, the original TV movie version of Duel is on YouTube. So all the bits in the episode that we recorded in which we speculate about what the original version might have been like rendered a bit silly. So what I've done is I've watched the movie and as we go through the discussion, I will be interrupting us to point out where we were right and wrong about the original TV movie version of Duel. So, having given that caveat, here's the episode. Hello dear listener, this is the podcast on which mostly we talk about horror. Sometimes we talk about other things and sometimes we swear. This episode I have the great pleasure of being joined by Stella Gaynor, Dr. Stella Gaynor I should say. (laughs) How are you Stella? I'm alright, happy new year I suppose we should still say that shouldn't we? What's the date now? 11th of Jan? Yes. Yeah I think we can still say that, happy new year. No we, we certainly can, it's, uh, as I said this on the previous episode, oh. it's still Christmas in my house, I still haven't been bothered to take down the Christmas decorations. Oh do you leave them? Got to work I'm, on that. I'm furious with them by like the 30th, I'm like take them down. Ah but when do yours go up? Uh, again, really close to Christmas. Oh, okay. Well, um, <laughs> they're not up for very long. I think ours went up the day before Christmas Eve, but I think in, in households with children, you know, sometimes I, I know it's the case. Like you have children insisting that they go up on the first of December. Yeah. So. Well, we um we were we were all really poorly before Christmas. It wasn't yeah. COVID, so you know, it was all the fun of COVID, but without it being COVID. Right. And I got as far as. Uh, getting the fake Christmas tree out of the garage and bringing it into the front room. But all three of us were all too sick to do the Christmas tree and the Christmas decorations. So the Christmas tree just sat in a box in the front room really sadly for about a week oh, while we gee. were all really poorly. And then when we felt started to feel better around probably around the 18th, 19th, and we were like, 
Should we put the tree up? <laughs> right. Oh, dear. Um, I mean, it was similar for me, yeah. I, I was, would have gone up earlier, but I was ill as well. Yeah. Um, and therefore, because it went up so late, I, I, I mean, it feels like it's only just gone up in a way. Yeah. Um, I can't be bothered taking it all down, but I will do yeah. soon um, when it's convenient. <laughs> and by the way, listener, um, this is Dan also known as T.D. Velasquez. Hello. Um, and I normally introduce myself at the top, but we just were having such a nice conversation. Um, in this episode, we are going to be talking about a movie that Stella and I have been keen to talk about for ages and mentioned on many occasions. It is Steven Spielberg's 1971 film, Duel. Uh, Yay! Uh, it's a, it's one of my absolute favourites. This is the point at which I would usually play the trailer for the movie that we're going to talk about. But if I did that, you would just hear mostly this. <laughs> How can it go so fast? Um, that's basically it. That'll do. It's like, couldn't they have written a trailer in which it says something like, when you're driving alone, <laughs> what you don't want to do is see a massive truck which you drive <laughs> past. And then that truck turns out to be driven by a maniac who's going to try and kill you for the rest of the day because he's so angry that you drove past him. <laughs> you sound like Batman. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the trigger? Where's the trigger? <laughs> Hey, Batman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, <coughs> That's made me cough. <coughs> <laughs> made you cough. It's, it's probably not done great for my throat. Anyway, so the trailer anyway. doesn't say that, but that is the premise of the movie. Um, <laughs> it's one of the most simple movies ever uh, in terms of plot. Uh, man drives a car. Um, He's literally called Man, Dave Man. He's called Dave Man. You know, and, Man. And there's symbolism in that, which we'll get into. But it, but it, yeah, it, it is that simple. It's a bloke in a car. He gets chased by a truck. That's it. So yeah, David Man's name might as well be Businessman. That's really all we know about him. He's a lone driver driving through the morning through the desert roads of California on an unspecified business trip. If you've never seen the movie, of course we're going to spoil it. Uh, there's there's not much you can talk about without spoiling it. But if you've never seen it, go watch it. It's fantastic. Um, well, my um, my kid came downstairs and I'd had the film on. So I rewatched it last night and I had it on for about. I reckon it's about 15 minutes in. So truck driver is starting to show, you know, that he's a bit unhinged by this point. Mm. And my kid comes into the room and uh, and they say, "What are you watching? I'm watching Jewel. What's it about?" <laughs> like, well, there's this man in the car and he's overtaken that truck there, and that truck driver's a bit angry and uh, he's going to chase him for. Uh... And I paused it and I was like, "An hour and twenty minutes." <laughs> <laughs> and she yeah. and he was like, "All right," <laughs> just sat down somewhere else. <laughs> oh, okay. So she she wasn't drawn into the narrative. Absolutely not. Um, I was going to say, you know. Uh, this is not one of those movies where you can describe the plot but say to the person, it's okay if you if you don't find the plot intriguing, it's still worth watching because of this and this and this. No, there is only mm -hmm. that plot 
there is a little bit of symbolism, there is a little bit of um, social commentary that we can talk about, but these are all just hints here and there. Mm. Basically, it is Man Gets Chased by Car. I listened truck. to an audio... Sorry, <laughs> yes, truck. Man in Car Gets Chased by Chased large by truck. truck. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I've seen the movie lots of times... And I listened to a reading of the short story it's based on. The short story is so simple. Um, it's actually less elaborate than the film. The <laughs> film expands its life. You could read the short story probably in half the time it takes to watch the movie. Right. <laughs> um, uh, so, but it, I'm really glad I read it. it, it it's a really good little um, yarn. Um, Written by Richard Matheson, who also wrote the screenplay of the movie, although I was credited with the screenplay, yeah. but there were bits of it that weren't written by him, as we'll discuss. So, <coughs> so Stella, what's your history with this movie? I think I watched it... As I definitely watched it as a kid, but I think I first watched it when I was... And I'm, I'm sure I've said this, either about this film when we've mentioned it in the past, or about several other old films as well. It might have even been the change thing. I was off school, sick, mm. and I remember watching it from a prone position on the sofa and it being on the telly right. in the afternoon mm. and seeing it then. Um, so I would have been quite young, pre-secondary school age. Um, so, yeah, watching it as a, as a TV movie, and it was a made-for-TV movie, wasn't it? Mm. But watching it in the afternoon. And with regards to watching it in the afternoon, I have a question about whether or not something was cut out of it. Okay. So last night I watched it, and I watched it on... I've got a Roku stick thing, and you can just search on that if any of the things you've got have the, you know, the content that you're after. Mm. And it sent me to one of the weird and wonderful, mad channels that are on Roku, watched it. And the conversation that man has with his wife on the phone Mm -hmm. quite early on... And they're having an argument, and he's like, "Sorry about last night, blah blah blah." And she, and the wife says something about, and you know, a trigger warning. The wife says something about, and you know, and he practically raped me last night, and mm. you did nothing about it. Mm. Now, was it just young me didn't hear that, or in the, I guess, late eighties, at the possible nineteen ninety one, would that have been cut from daytime TV? Because I was like, "Oh, I don't remember mm. that being a thing." Yeah, I don't know. Um, it might have been. I think you could get away with cutting that line because you'd mm. still get a sense of. You still get their argument. Th- they're they're clearly arguing about something that they're not really addressing. Yeah. You know, so so and can't be resolved over the phone. Yeah. I mean, no argument can, can it? Mm. So you, yeah, you'd still get that there's a husband and wife, you know, not complete happy marriage going on, but but that line and she says the word rape mm. and I was like, oh. I either, you know, didn't pick that up as as a kid or possibly cut out for an afternoon screening. Mm, Although, based on my memory of watching TV in the 80s, I'm suspicious that they didn't edit things because they didn't really care who was watching. Maybe because lots of people didn't really watch daytime TV because it was so new. I mean, um, uh, I I definitely remember being traumatised by things that I saw on TV in the afternoon. Oh, yeah, I watched The Changeling on TV in the afternoon. Yeah, that's incredible. What? What? You know, 
Yeah, yeah. What? <laughs> um, there's a there's a short film that's on YouTube called Panic. That's about a little old lady who kills hitchhikers. She's a hitchhiker, but she 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 kills <coughs> the people who pick her up. It is basically the hitcher, but with mm-hmm. a little old lady instead of Rutger Hauer. <laughs> um, and she doesn't just kill people; she saws them up. She goes around with a bag full of saws. And this Good was this was on in the afternoon, and I saw it when <laughs> I was about five, and carried that memory with me of, of trauma for years, and eventually found it on YouTube. Um, and I, I saw Jewel also. It would have been not. I, well, basically, I think I saw Jewel so long that I can't. So young. I saw it so young that I can't remember not having seen it. It was just mm. always there. And it yeah. is one of those horror movies that I'm going to contradict myself and say that you could have put it on in the afternoon because it has so little in terms of the 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 um um the content that horror films normally have you would i mean maybe the the rape blind but apart from that you wouldn't have to cut any of it um and it it was made for tv um originally of course but then expanded for cinema so um i guess i'll give a little bit of background on the movie and its production so uh in I think in 1970 or 71, Richard Matheson wrote a short story which was published in Playboy. Um, nice. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and it was immediately optioned for turning into a TV movie by Universal. Um, and Steven Spielberg was hired to direct it. Um, he directed all the kind of movie-length TV stuff. He was involved in Rob, Rod Serling's Night Gallery. Mm. He directed the first regular episode of Columbo. But this was his first kind of standalone movie thing. Um, and it was only about an hour and ten minutes long. But the studio was so impressed with what they saw that they thought we can release this in theatres. But it mm. has to be 15 minutes longer. So Spielberg, not Matheson, wrote an extra 15 minutes of material uh, that they went out and filmed, and then the movie was released. Um, And that conversation that you just mentioned is one of the scenes that Spielberg wrote, I believe. Right. It's not in the original short story. Um, And, in fact, I suspect that all... There are hints throughout the movie that David Mann is, um, uh, uh, you know, his masculinity is in question. He is, yeah. um, uh, he, he listens to uh, an interview on the radio with um, a man who says he's not the head of his household, his wife is. Uh, mm-hmm. Mann himself later says something similar uh, about his own household. He has that conversation with his wife where um She's clearly um, dissatisfied with his behaviour and, and it uh, implies that he's um, he doesn't stand up for himself. He doesn't he, he didn't defend her when she needed. Yeah, he didn't protect her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and then later in the movie, there there are like lots of little signs that have been added. Um, 
that uh, he's not decisive enough. I mean, a lot of it comes from the short story, but there are a few bit little notes that aren't, um, such as I love the bit where in the middle of the film he orders, he goes to that cafe, doesn't he, and he orders mm-hmm. a sandwich, and she says, the waitress says to him, will that be all? And he's kind of being polite, and he goes, yes, that's fine, thank you. And then she walks away. He looks at his sandwich and goes, I could have done with some ketchup. you should have said something and then um, another scene that was written by Spielberg and added is the whole bit with the school bus where where he's he's driving along and he's um, uh, he's flagged down by this um, school bus which has um, is it skidded off the road and stopped up I don't really know what the problem is because it's yeah that I don't know it just says you can't it's like he, he just needs it a bit needs of a push. extra push to get... It needs strength and man yeah. doesn't have the strength, yeah. does he? And there, there's a lovely <laughs> bit in that in, in that sequence where the kids from the school bus are all kind of playing around his car and he tries to be authoritarian with them and says, don't sit on the bonnet, you'll dent it. But then a few minutes later when big scary truck reappears and and man knows that he needs to get away, he jumps up on the bonnet of his car... <laughs> Because he has to uh, put pressure on the bonnet to unhook it from the back of the bus. And he's leaping up and down on his bonnet. He no longer cares. It's like he retreats even from his own principles. When when will he grow a spine? Um, So all all that subtext, although it, it kind of is present in the original story and scripts, I feel like it was kind of added in the um in the expansion of the movie for theaters and it and, mm. and it was added by Spielberg um i guess um and well I, so so that's um, you know that's the background of the movie and those are the, uh, are those elements that i observe as being added um also i, I wish i i could see the original version of the film i'd really like to see it, you know, the, when it was 15 minutes shorter, just to see yeah. what, what it was like. Because I think also all the, um, the the kind of long opening where it's just the car driving along and you hear the things on the radio. Just and the, the radio. The whole conversation on the radio about the, the man filling in the census and and, th- and saying he, he's not the head of his own household. I suspect that stuff is also added because it's not in the short story, but also mm. it's like if you had to add 10 minutes to something or 15 minutes and you had the option of just doing a load of long tracking shots of a car driving <laughs> along, wouldn't you do that? Wouldn't you add that stuff? I suspect yeah, maybe... E- and easily added as well, I, I guess. It's not too taxing, is it? Yeah. Hello, Dan, with COVID here. So this is the first point where I need to interrupt myself. Obviously, I've seen the film now and... Here we were speculating about how the theme of masculinity um, or the undercutting of masculinity given in the movie might have been added into the storyline by Spielberg in the additions to the scripts that he wrote for the theatrical version of the film because those things seem more pronounced in the movie than they were in the original Richard Matheson short story. 
Having now seen the TV movie version, I can say that uh, most of this stuff was actually in the original version of the script, so it must be Matheson who takes credit for introducing or expanding that theme for TV. For instance, the, the DJ at the beginning is in the TV movie version. The whole dialogue about the man filling out a census form and being unsure as to whether to declare himself as the head of the family when he believes his wife really is, that is the first thing that you hear in the TV version of Duel. It's straight underneath the opening title card in fact um it's all the earliest stuff where we get the point of view from man's car as he drives through the city and along freeways and we hear the radio station switching between different music and talk channels all that stuff's new in the long version of the movie but the the dj talking about the censors and being the head of the family that is in the original movie so it instantly introduces the theme of uh, masculinity being in crisis and women taking a commanding role stripping away the authority from men's lives that is a theme in the the movie that's a bit more explicit than the original short story in which it was just hinted at. Also, I think it must be said that the DJ who delivers that dialogue about the census, it's a real DJ. His name is Dick Whittington. He's still alive now and still is a working DJ now, at least according to Wikipedia. And it's a little bit clearer in the TV movie version of the film. And the reason it's clearer is because the content of the radio program is emphasised a little bit more so that you as the viewer listen to what's being said a little more or at least that's how I found it and therefore it becomes clear something that I was never quite sure of I'd never really registered before that it's actually a prank call and that the man phoning up about the census is actually the DJ doing a silly voice and he's ringing up the census office to basically prank them for the amusement of his audience and this was apparently very much in Dick Whittington's style he was kind of a Serbic kind of proto Howard Stern guy who would bring his own personality to his um, DJing and also create kind of bits of comedy and, and, and take the mickey out of people I don't know if that was a real phone call I don't know if Dick Whittington maybe improvised a lot of that or whether it was scripted. I don't know that. I haven't seen the script. But it's certainly in the um, the, the shorter version of the film. And so is the line about you're the boss, not in my house. That exchange occurs between David Mann and the attendant in the gas station. That scene is in the short version of the movie. It's the moment within that scene where Mann gets out of his car, goes inside the building and makes a phone call to his wife... That's not in the movie, that's been added. So that stuff is scripted by Spielberg. But the uh, the line about not in my house is Matheson's kind of threading the, the, the theme of the undercutting of masculinity. Although Spielberg then elaborates on it by having the actual dialogue between man and his wife. Um, I'll be talking more about the differences between the short and long versions of the movie as we go through but for right now let's go back to Stella and the pre-covid version of myself 
what do you think, Star? What what what, did, what was the first thing you wanted to talk about when you watched the movie again? Well, I think again to, to you know to think about it in the when the first time I saw it I was a kid, it was just about the scary truck. Mm. Um, but now, at the ripe old age of uh, forty-one, I believe I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, I could see this time. I could see all of the the fragile slash toxic masculinity commentary going on before we even had those terms mm. so you know dave dave man is his masculinity is very fragile throughout he says you know when he goes to get gas and the gas attendant's like you're the boss and he says not in my house i'm that, not that's so he's, the line yeah he's yeah. really fragile about it and then you've got toxic masculinity with the truck because mm, mm. the truck's just a big huge phallic object mm. and he's and he and he kicks off with Dave Mann because he overtakes him but it's like oh come on for God's sake and then just just constantly throughout just the theme of masculinity in some kind of crisis so like he's talking about how he couldn't have a fist fight on, on the phone to his wife um, mm. when he's in the cafe he imagines himself going over to because there's a load of guys at the bar who've all got cowboy boots on and he thinks one of them might be the truck driver and he's imagining himself going over there to apologize to straighten it out and he can imagine it but he can't propel himself out of the seat to do it like he's not man enough to go and apologize so rather than apologize and do it in an actual manly way he confronts another guy and knocks a sandwich out of his hand and it's just like oh. <laughs> and then when I feel like his masculinity kind of drops again when or rather is you know challenged again but in a in a more positive way so I'm going to mention the end when the mm. truck when he defeats the truck and the truck goes over the cliff at the end when Dave Mann is stood on the top of the cliff he does a very sort of it's quite childlike in his celebratory dances he's sort of hopping and skipping around well and he's like he goes back to being a boy he can't he's not even go back to being a man he's, he's a boy again because he's just like <laughs> well, he's finally I, done it <laughs> i had a slightly different reading of that my notes my final note that i wrote while watching the movie was dave man becomes caveman <laughs> because he kind of just jumps around hooping yeah. <laughs> and, it, and the last line of the short story and in the short story uh, the ending is slightly different man doesn't as much use his own wit to defeat the truck um, it, it's the the truck basically has an accident and falls over that whole the whole <laughs> the whole bit um, it's like it's driving so fast to come and uh, and kill him that the the truck basically skids off the road. They're on, they're on a, an unstable dirt road by that point. Yeah, it's a road closed sign, isn't it? That um, they've gone through. So with the ending um, in the movie is slightly retooled. So he, so man is a bit more active, and there, and you can kind of see him regaining his yeah. Um, his masculinity or, or whatever. But on the other <laughs> hand, the last sentence of the story, uh, in, which is the same as the movie, basically man is looking down at the remains of the, of the truck and the settling dust and all that. Mm. The final line of the story is, 
It was a primeval tumult in his mind, the cry of some ancestral beast above the body of its vanquished foe. Um, <laughs> but to my eyes, he's dancing around at the top of the cliff <laughs> like a nine-year-old boy going... <laughs> and he's like, well, that's not very manly, is it? He's skipping from side that, well, to that's side. That's true, that's true, that's true. And also, once that kind of exultation has died out of him, he just sits down and he throws stones... Throw stones like a kid. Yeah, yeah. Which a kid is would very, do that very too. Very childlike as well. Hello again, Dan with COVID here. So this is another point where I thought I should chip in to just further comment on what Stella said about the ending of the movie. So I do think that there is a theme throughout Duel, especially in the long version, of husbands being undercut by their wives, their self-worth and their authority being taken away to a degree by their wives. This is kind of reiterated a number of times, not just the the moments we've already mentioned but like for instance when man flags down the car that pulls up with the old couple in it and he's asking them to help them by calling the police the husband seems maybe willing to help him but it's the wife who very quickly says no 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 drive on drive on jim drive on uh, and the husband then kind of says oh uh, i'm sorry i can't help you she says i can't or at least that's the the impression given so having been given that build up the ending in which man is able to assert his decisiveness and his agency to defeat the truck using nothing but his own wit could be read and is maybe intended by Matheson to be read as man freed from the interference of woman is able to take control of the situation and and regain that kind of primordial sense of command that is hinted by that final line of the story However, I think that there is then an undercutting of that sentiment in the fact that having defeated the truck, man has nothing to do. He just sits down, as Stella says, like a child, throwing stones, and he just remains there while the sun goes down. You know, he doesn't set off walking home or something like that. He doesn't go to try and flag down a lift to take him to the nearest town. He just seems to be completely without purpose. To me, I think that might be an indication that in the modern world, that kind of sense of uh, masculine domination through violence and decisiveness is no longer really needed or relevant in the same way. And by giving into that, man is actually rendering himself as irrelevant as the truck driver, who is obviously a psychopath who is out of touch with society. That's really all we know about him. Of course, the other th- what we do know just from the brief glimpses that we do get is that the truck driver is another man. The whole film, therefore, could be seen to be about a side of masculinity, which is no longer as relevant as it once was. Anyway, that's a thought that I had watching the movie again. As I mentioned to Stella, watching the movie, reading the story, listening to the story, watching the shorter version of the movie, all within the space of a week or so, I've actually really enjoyed. This is a story and a, a film that stands up to repeated close viewings that's part of the wonder of it anyway back to the discussion with Stella and my pre-covid self
Now, I have a theory mm. as well. And again, it's just something that I noticed on watching it last night. On all of the many, many close-ups that we get on the front of the truck, mm. the big scary truck, there's loads of number plates yes. on it. And I know people in America do have collect number plates. I don't really, I don't really know what that's about. But I reckon that they're the number plates from the cars of all the other people that the truck driver has previously killed, and he's a serial killer. Mm. And they're his trophies. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm yeah. Like, at first, I remember when I first noticed that, I thought, does he have multiple number plates? Do you, do you need different number plates for different states? Different states, yeah. I was like, um, no, that would be ridiculous. But, um, but yeah. They're yeah. trophies, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, he's uh, and there's loads of them. There's like about eight <laughs> different number uh, plates. He's not doing bad. Yeah, <laughs> gee whiz. Um. <laughs> Done with COVID here again. I think Stella is onto something there with her theory. Here is Spielberg himself on the DVD extras. The idea was to make the truck look like a veteran of these, you know, road crimes. This was murder incorporated on wheels. All those license plates were the states where he drove motorists into the ground, off cliffs, against guardrails. Those were the notches in his Colt 45. You said before it's a horror movie, but you wouldn't have to cut anything out mm. for it to screen in the afternoon, clearly. Um, but I've written down road movie, stalker, Thriller. I've even written down slasher because there's the chasing element. We don't see his face, the truck driver's face. Mm. And I'm just feeling like, yeah, it's it's a scary and unsettling movie and it's incredibly tense. But where where do we put it? Where does it sit? Is it a road movie? Is it horror? Is it a thriller? Yeah. The hell's going on? Uh, and <laughs> I, I suppose you could... It's at least as much of an action movie, you could say, mm. as something like... Uh, you know, the driver, which is a getaway driver thriller from a few years later, or or, or any kind of car-based action uh, yeah. thriller. So there's that as well. Um, yeah, um, it's it's a strange one. I, I think it's so minimalist as well. The fact that it it straddles all these things while doing so little. Um, mm. I mean, I guess that's one of the things I I love about it. Um, uh, and I want to get into that um, th because this is a movie that even though it's so simple uh, I come back to it regularly I mean Spielberg <laughs> it was the first theatrically released movie that he ever made and he still watches it every year um, <laughs> apparently he, he watches it every year to remind himself of what he, he was like as a director when he was 25 mm -hmm. which is roughly how old he was when he made this um, yeah. and I did spot a couple of shots in it like um, right near the beginning where almost the first time you see well it's not the first time you see this truck but it's the first time you get a really good look at it there's a massive long tracking shot where it starts on Dennis Weaver in his car and then pulls back and goes up the road and you see the hugeness of the tanker all in one shot and I thought yeah. that is a hugely Spielbergian shot uh, and he did something very similar <coughs> in uh, the War of the Worlds 2005 movie with Tom mm -hmm. Cruise, which was another car chase with a big single tracking shot where there's all kinds of mayhem going along 
uh, happening around the car that's driving, but you can always see the people in the car reacting to it all. Yeah. Um, and, um, uh, you know, I, I think it's a perfect example of camera direction. It, I couldn't think of a better movie to watch to to remind yourself how that all works. Absolutely. Um, and I, I kind of thought to myself, look, if he watches it every year, then I'm going to watch it pretty regularly. <laughs> um, because even though it's really simple, I find I'm always drawn into it and I always can't quite remember how things resolve. Like the scene in the cafe, I never remember which which guy he's going to confront, how, yeah. how it's going to play out. Well, that's what I was thinking last night. It was like, it was like I know this film and I know this story and I know... I remember there's a cafe bit and I remember at some point the truck tries to drive into him and that's when he's in that phone booth with all, with the woman with the snakes. With, and yeah, yeah. Like, and I remember it goes over the cliff at the end, but I don't remember how he gets it over the cliff at the end. And I'd forgot about the bit where he stops, he flags down that old couple in a car and asks them to call the police for him and then they won't but it was just the we're just watching two vehicles go down the road and up and down these stunning landscapes mm. beautiful open american um gorgeous landscapes but you're just watching these two cars so it's just a combination of how have you put together shots of just two vehicles on some on, on some roads mm. for an hour and 20 minutes and transfixed and it's like the storytelling capability and detail in the minimalism, if that makes sense, of all of these wonderful shots put together, yeah. the arrangement of it yeah, yeah. is just really stunning because it's just two vehicles on a road. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's it. I, I should say as well, I, I think it is a good character piece, uh, even though the guy's called Dave Mann. And it, <laughs> you know, um, I think Kim Newman observed observed that it's basically man versus machine that yeah. and, and he's even called man that's his man. name <laughs> but um uh, Dennis Weaver who plays David Mann his performance is just amazing and basically he's the only there obviously there are lots of other actors in the movie but they're all just bit parts he yeah. most of it is just him and he has to create this kind of gradually escalating sense of panic um and, and Everything he does is perfect. It, it it's a beautiful performance, um, mm. and I think that that goes a long way to holding it together as well. But of course, that's also direction because direction is mm. is casting your actor and and I mean, imagine how uh, difficult it must have been to be that Dennis Weaver and think right in this bit I'm driving the car. Again, but I'm Again. slightly more agitated than I was. Or maybe they've just done a shot which is later in the movie, so it's like, this time I want to be four times more calm than I was in the previous <laughs> shot. You know? Well, yeah, I, I was just thinking that. Put, like, just doing it, just filming it, just, just sat last night, I was like, wow, this just looks really hard. Mm. <laughs> Even though, you know, it's it's a deceptively simple yeah. film. I was like, yeah, this, this looks like it was really hard to make. In its in its own way, the arrangement and everything, but yeah, yeah but, he's like you said, it still draws you in straight away every time. Yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of the story construction, I love the fact that it is it's a slow build up from mm. nothing. Um, you know, uh, the, the gradual gradual build up of tension. He sees the truck. 
it's obviously ugly and dangerous. Then it's a bit weird. You know, it, it overtakes it. It overtakes him again. It beeps at him. Um, Hark! Um, and... <laughs> That's my impression. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. <laughs> it wasn't a goose. Oh, I, I love the bit. There was a bit that I'd never noticed before, um, having seen this film so many times, but the bit towards the end where uh, it's really late in the chase and they're both driving so fast that both vehicles are actually going faster than a train that's going alongside oh, yeah. the road and the train honks at them and honks. It, he honks back and I said to my mum oh mum the truck and the train are talking to each other <laughs> um, uh, yeah the, 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 the sort of gradual build up and it's not, it's not until um, the, the moment where the, the truck tries to kill him or shows murderous intent for the first time is when that he's actually he wants to overtake the truck, but it won't let him. It's making him go slow, yeah. and then the truck driver waves him past. Yeah, and there's it, another car coming. Yeah. <laughs> and it's only that moment that the uh, the, mu the the musical score, which is by Billy Goldenberg, ma making this a rare Steven Spielberg film that's not got music by John Williams. That's where the score comes in. There's there's not been any musical score up to no. that point, and it's just like, oh, this is serious. <laughs> Well, that's the other thing I wanted to mention was there's there's a few jumps in it. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's the first I put the first truck takeover. So the first time the truck so he comes up behind the truck, he takes over, and it, you know, everything's fine. And then the truck comes roaring past him for the first time, and it's such a roar mm. that that makes you jump. And then you've got when it when the truck driver says, "Okay, you take over me," and there's a car coming the other way. Um, there's a couple of other ones well that I tried to write down, but I can't read my own writing. There's, but it does make you jump. So again, we're back into horror territory, yeah. aren't we? There's one where he's the car stops and he falls asleep, and you That's hear it. the, the, train the build up past. of uh, it sounds like the truck's engine, and then the, yeah. and then the honk comes in, and you're like, oh yeah. my god, um, <laughs> that is a brilliant moment. Um, there are so many. I, 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 it's weird. I love the fact that the story is so simple. Um, I mean, the, the original story that it's based on, and obviously the film is also very simple, but it's a bit more elaborate. The opening line of the story is, At 11.32am, man passed the truck. So that moment, that inciting incident, is literally the first line of the story, whereas the movie takes ten minutes to build up to that. Yeah. Just to give you... Um, a feel for this guy in the sense of isolation um, and the sense of the world as well. By the way, I suspect that the, the very first street you see in the whole movie is the street from Halloween. Uh, I think that was one of the shots that they added and it's, and, and it's in L.A., and they probably just go down the road from the studio and shoot some suburban streets. And it, to me, it looks exactly like the street from Halloween, which is in Pasadena, oh. Los Angeles. I mean, there may be loads of streets that look like yeah. that. But, you know, I'm going to have a look again. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, um, I, I, I think it's a good bet. Um, it's, it's uncanny um, and, it, and it's nice to see. Um, what else I was going to say. I also, when I watched this movie, the point at which I watched this movie and realised that it was really brilliant was when I was at university because we'd just done a module on Alfred Hitchcock, so I'd watched 
basically all the Hitchcock films. Mm-hmm. Um, well, as many of them as I could get my hands on, which was 50-odd films. Um, and I kind of got to the end of them and started thinking, you know, who do we hand over to? And then I watched Duel, and it seemed like Spielberg is a good candidate because, you know... Hitchcock was one of those guys, one of the few directors who ordinary people would know the name of. Yeah. Um, and Spielberg would, would become that. You know, everybody knew who Spielberg was. You know, uh, I was growing up in the 80s. I don't remember not mm-hmm. knowing who Spielberg no. was. Um, God, no. And And actually... A duel, unusually because Spielberg's later movies kind of moved away from this, but it's a very Hitchcocky and suspense movie. The way it's mm. shot, the way it sounds. That I mean, there are a couple of bits near the end where the, uh, you were saying slasher movie. You know, th- the truck is accompanied by kind of yeah, 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 um, yeah. Strings. I've got that written there. Yeah, when the truck yeah. backs up, um, the old couple talking to the old couple, hmm. and they won't ring the police. The score comes in, and it's a minimal score as well, isn't mm-hmm. it? And it was like, and I've, I've written, Psycho, shower! Yeah, yeah. Because um, <laughs> it's, you know, that same, it's like you say, screeching yeah, yeah, yeah. sound. And I, I think that was deliberate. In, it, another echo of Hitchcock is there are a couple of yeah. moments where the... Uh, the camera cuts to a tight zoom. You know, you have like the effect of a zoom shot usually into Dennis Weaver's face, but instead of yeah. the camera of the image moving, it's just cutting to a tighter and tighter shot, which Hitchcock did with the uh, In the Birds, when you have the reveal of the character who's been killed by the birds and had his eyes pecked out. Nice. There's that zoom into his eyes. (laughs) Um, And then, of course, you know, Spielberg's next film after this, but one, because he did do The Sugarland Express, which is one of the only Spielberg films I've still never seen. Um, But after that, he did Jaws, which is mm-hmm. basically the birds, isn't it? Um, <laughs> but, you know, arguably even better. Um, that's, that's a conversation. Uh, uh, yeah, it's got, probably got a better script, at least. Um, I love them both, by the way. I love them both very, very much. Stand down, um, everybody. Um, uh, you know, so, uh, yeah. And Hitchcock did have a couple of movies after this, but, you know, he was at the end of his career and life by that point, really. Um, and this is a, a nice transition. Um, uh, and he just picked Spielberg in his youth, you know, only 25, picks up on all the precise camera techniques, the, the, the precise storytelling, the technical flair that, that Hitchcock developed over... Um, you know, his 50, 60 year career. I mean, yeah. you know, um, one of Hitchcock's British movies in the 30s was The Lady Vanishes, which basically is a wonderful film in all sorts of ways. But it comes to, I think, his interest in it was basically, can I make a movie that's just set on a train and it's still exciting? Yeah. Mm. And the answer is yes, because it's a really good setting for a movie. I love movies on trains. And this is like going one beyond it. It's like, yeah. can, can I make a movie that's just in a couple of cars? Well, really, in one car. Yeah, because yeah. we never go inside the truck, no. do we? We, we never see, see anything. Um, I think the only thing we see inside the truck, and even then it's questionable as if it's still inside, when the truck's over the cliff at the end mm. and we get the shots of bits of the truck mm. and there's one 
blood drip. Yes, yes. And it looks like it's dripping down the steering wheel. Yeah, I think that is right, yeah. yeah. And I think, and that's it. That's the only inside the truck we get, if, in fact, the steering wheel is still inside the truck at that point, if it's not been... Yeah, that's you know, true. ...bashed um, out. Yeah, because you, you see bits of the driver's hands and things. His left hand, um, his boot... Uh, but they're always outside the vehicle. Oh, I think you do see his hand on the gear stick right at the end. Just to... Oh, yeah, you see him doing some manoeuvres to try and stop himself from going over the cliff, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, one blood drip, that's it. Yeah, with In a, terms of like... a lovely sound effect. And also, you probably wouldn't have to cut that either because it doesn't really look it's too very much dark. like blood. Could yeah, be oil not... or whatever. Yeah, it's not red, red, is it? It's, it's quite dark, so it wouldn't... Yeah, it's not obviously gore, but... Yeah, yeah it's... Um, I think, you know, just looking back over the notes, as I was watching it last night, I'm, the amount of times I've written the word tense. Yes. <laughs> it's just so tense. Yeah. <laughs> All the yeah. way through. And, and so I watched it last night, and I guess I've not seen it for a few years. Um, I think I randomly stumbled upon it one evening when it was on late one night years ago mm. um, and it was halfway through and I was you know, probably just coming back from the pub or something and be like, look, Joel, <laughs> and watching it <laughs> again. And then, but yeah, last night was the first time in ages that we're like, sit down, watch the thing, hop it from start to finish and just like, God, it's just so tense. This is just so tense and I'm deeply uncomfortable watching this, even though I know, I know the story and I know the end, like I said before, but I'm sat there just like, oh God, it's just really, really tense. Yeah, it's brilliant. It just gets yeah. you. I mean, I watched, Such the anxiety. Movie, watched it last night, immediately listened to the short story and enjoyed it all over again, even though it's basically exactly the same. <laughs> yeah. And I wanted to watch it again today. It's just, just um, all the details in it are so perfectly observed. You know, um, I always feel sorry for the lady who gets a, 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 a snakes, the snakes smashed yeah. up and all that. That line yeah. where, she, where he says, call the police. And she goes, with what? That's the only phone I got. <laughs> and I, 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 yeah, I was, point well made. <laughs> yeah, I would just feel that, that kind of anger and despair. And she's so sweet as well. You know, when he first pulls up and he says, can you put some ethanol in the tank or whatever? She goes, all righty. <laughs> and she's so chuffed, isn't yeah. she? She gets to get a customer, and then she's like, "My snakes, my snakes!" And she's chasing after a lizard and and stuff. And she's got two snakes in her arms as as he drives off. Though, so she definitely gets two snakes back. Oh yeah, my snakes. So there is that. I've got to find my snakes. <laughs> my snakes. Yeah. That actress, by the way, Lucille Benson, is in Halloween too as well. So she has <laughs> she has a direct connection to slashers. She finds, I think. Michael Myers, she don't get killed or anything. She's the uh, the lady um, who Michael Myers steals a knife from her kitchen and, and leaves blood behind. So she turns around and, put, and and touches the blood and then sees it on her fingers and screams, and that's that's her bit. Right. Um, but you know, that's not bad. You know, it's a good claim. Yeah, yeah. She'll she'll <laughs> always be remembered. Um, For my snake. <laughs> yeah, nah, brilliant. Uh, she's uh, she's the star of the movie for me after Dennis Weaver. Um, uh, what else? Oh yeah. By the way, I watched this a few years ago when it was known that I was um, learning to drive, and I and I posted a picture of the truck on Facebook <laughs> just to show that I was watching it, and a friend of mine uh, commented saying, "This is not what you're going to be like when you drive, is it?" <laughs> um, 
And this time that I've watched it is the first time I've watched it as a driver. I've, uh-huh. I just passed my test a month or so ago. Um, mm. And I just wondered if it would bring anything, um, you know, any different insight to it. There's a couple of things. Firstly, it just um, reinforced my idea that the movie is not really dated. The reason no. being that driving has not changed. You know, yeah, the, the, the technology might have changed a bit, but in terms of the things you have to do when driving a car, mm-hmm. it, it's totally the same. Um, also, the scene where he's um, getting petrol, or ethyl. Ethyl. Um, uh, near the start. Whoever and, she is. And the, yes, if <laughs> ethyl don't mind. Again, <laughs> I think that was a Spielberg line. <laughs> I'm totally wrong there. That line is definitely a Matheson line, not a Spielberg line, as it does appear in the short version of the movie. And the truck pulls up next to him, so while he's, you know, it's the same way he goes and makes the phone call, isn't it? So while he's on the phone, he's kind of watching the truck and he sees the boots walking on the other side. I noticed that the, um, uh, the, the boots... Are kicking the tires of the truck. Yeah. <laughs> which obviously I'd always noticed that, but as a driver thing, yeah, kicking the tires of the truck is something that you do to test if there's air in them, uh, because you know that you're going on a long journey or it's going to be strenuous or something. So, you know, <laughs> you wouldn't do that if you're just popping down the road to the shop. Um, <laughs> but I thought. Is that a sign that the driver knows he's going to kill? It's like, I want to make sure that my tyres are in good nick because I'm going to be driving very fast, very soon. Like the AA warning you before you go on a long journey at Christmas. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you're going to... Check your oil. <laughs> if you're going to commit murder on the road, make sure that you have plenty of air in your tyres. Oh, um, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that, but it's just lovely, though. I mean, I love the minimalism of this movie. Um, I'd love that. I mean, Spielberg probably loved it as an assignment because it's yeah. because the simpler your script is, the more you can bring to it as a director, and it, yeah. that must be just delightful as a, as someone at the start of their career going right. I can show what I can do with this. Show what I can do. The bit yeah. that always um, strikes me, the shot that I always remember, is when the truck starts moving at one point. It's been still for a while. And the camera is underneath the trailer. Well, no, I guess it's the actual truck. It's not the trailer. And you see the axle turning. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why would you do that? Imagine the effort it took to set up that shot. <laughs> yeah. He's just doing it because... He knows he can, and he. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and it, and it it really works. You get a real sense of place uh, and of the power of the thing. Um, and at no point in the entire movie do you not know what's going on. It's all visual storytelling. It's just mm-hmm. beautiful. Um, you mentioned the score as well. I just, it just struck me. Um, uh, listeners, we've recently done an, an episode. If you didn't hear it, in which. Um, Ian and Kirsty and I, and also this one with Howard, where we all kind of play different bits of music and talk about them. And Kirsty was talking about how she doesn't listen to a lot of soundtrack stuff outside the movie. 
because um, the, ex the the enjoyment of the music is tied for, with the experience of watching the film. Whereas I'm a kind of a soundtrack junkie and will listen to music a lot, but when I was watching Jewel, I was thinking, yeah, I wouldn't listen to this music if I wasn't <laughs> watching the movie. And apparently Spielberg did say to Billy Goldenberg, don't write tunes, just give us some atmosphere, you know, yeah, give us the mood. Some noises. And... Uh, uh, and uh, in a way, the music sounds like the echoes inside the tanker of the truck. You know, it sounds yeah. like warping metal. It's echoes. It's it's eerie. It's it's thuds. Um, it's an industrial sense of danger, and I think it's brilliant. But it would be probably hell to listen to on, if you got it on a CD or whatever. I wonder if there was a soundtrack album. <laughs> Well, I was well, thinking about that, what it would sound like. I'd love to watch it in the cinema. Yeah. I'd love to see it screened somewhere um, because, you know, I've, I've only got a small telly that isn't particularly mm. great at sound, so I'd like to... Just, I end up watching loads of stuff and thinking, God, we should get a better TV with better sound because I'm sure this is meant to sound great, mm. um, but I can't really hear it. So, yeah, Jewel is definitely one of those old films or just films or just things in general they're just like oh yeah I wish I wish I'd seen that seen on the big screen you know I mean, there's various things that I wish I'd seen on the big screen just to see how they translate so some of the stuff like um, and it's a wild jump this like the desktop horror like Unfriended right mm. and um, and host uh, what, of course and host and, yeah. and you know things like that I'd like it's like especially unfriended with all having to look around the screen looking at all the different tabs that the characters have got open and all the sounds of the clicks on the keyboard like what was that like in the cinema mm. how how did that translate because whenever i've watched that film i've always watched it on my laptop I tried to watch it on the tv once but i couldn't read the text so it was like oh this is pointless i need to watch this on my laptop right. so it's like how, how did that work on the cinema so with something like jewel with the with the noise of the truck mm. constantly in your ears in the cinema like how What's what's that like as an experience? And I wonder, I wonder if that changes or soups up the the tension and, and the fear of it, and maybe makes it feel more horror or less horror, or oh, I don't know. But I'd just love to see, and also those beautiful landscapes on on a big screen. Oh yeah, and that saturated orange palette. You know, it'd just be now, great on the big the screen. The photography is is excellent in it, um, and the sound design is amazing. I think, but it does, what you just said did Excuse make me, me think. You know. Did they have to soup it up for the cinema? Would they have gone yeah. to that effort with the sound if it was, as it originally was intended, just going out on TV on a Wednesday night? Um, because obviously people don't have great sound systems in their homes. Certainly not then um, either. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there is a real uh, music or musicality to the way that the sounds of the truck and the sounds of the car and the, and the screeching of the tyres and all that is used. I mean, mm. there's lots of the movie that doesn't have score music on it and it mm. is just dependent on those sounds and it's brilliantly done, actually, um, as it is in, in Walter Hill's The Driver, which has lots and lots of exciting car chases that are really exciting and have no score at all just because the sound editing is so good and um, the use of the, the, the noise of the vehicles um, is, is kind of so precise and it's brilliantly edi yeah. edited, which, which this movie is too um yeah um it's one of those movies that i just can't think of anything wrong with really um i'm gonna go out there and say it's 
probably my favourite Spielberg movie. Right. You know what? I'm I'm absolutely there with you. I, I think it's scarier than Jaws. So, mm-hmm. um, so I, I would have to go with that. Uh, you know, ultimately with a lot of these uh, creators, they might be brilliant in all kinds of ways, but what I want is the scary stuff. And <laughs> this is Spielberg's scariest movie. Um, and the other ones I, I really love are Jaws and Jurassic mm-hmm. Park and Raiders of, of the Lost Ark, which I consider to be like a disguised horror movie. Yeah. You know, It was scary when I was a kid, yeah. but now when I watch Raiders of the Lost Ark, I'm not scared anymore. But when I watch Jewel... Mm, I'm still mm. uncomfortable. I'm still anxious watching it, and I think that's there's there's a clear difference there. I think. Yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, I I think um, that's why I call Raiders kind of disguised horror, really, because you can watch most of it and it's a jolly romp, <laughs> and then everybody melts at the end. Yay! <laughs> um, Melt the Nazis. Yeah. That's brilliant. Um, whereas in Jewel, you've got immediate tension, and just the fact that the the you know the Universal logo at the start has that eerie Billy Goldenberg sound on it, which is the only music you then hear for ages. But it's like told you straight at the beginning, this is what you're going to be watching. This is what you're going to feel like for the rest of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> no, it, it, it's just fantastic. And I think it's, I mean, in a way, Spielberg probably doesn't want to hear that. You made your best film when you were 25. <laughs> Everything yeah, so, since has been Sorry, done. Mr. Spielberg, if you're listening. Everything else has been great. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. yeah but... but I don't think we can uh, sell it any more than that. I no. mean, you know, like I said, you know, my, my kid came downstairs and they absolutely were interested because because I did say there's a man in a car and he overtakes a truck and the truck gets annoyed and chases him mm. and that was it and he just wasn't interested. But I think I'm going to make him sit down and watch it. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, come on, watch this. Just just come on, see what you think. I, 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 and they will, to be fair. Ema will put up with me putting various films in front of them that are not, you know, the big Marvel movies mm. and, and, and all kinds of stuff. Ema will sit and watch quieter smaller more more obscure or more independent mm. cinema which is great i mean to a degree they don't really have a choice but you know there's been some films where you know um like little miss sunshine all right mate showed, showed that to Ema and uh i wasn't wasn't sure if they were going to go for it and but you know by the end Ema was like it's one of the best things i've ever seen <laughs> so you know right. they, they are prepared to watch some th- things that aren't you know whiz bang boom amazing so yeah, yeah i'm going to uh Make him watch it. <laughs> and I think Jewel is. Um, it sounds boring when you describe it. Maybe, well, yeah. maybe I'm going to criticise, uh, you know, disagree with myself here because I did say <laughs> earlier it's not one of those movies where if you don't like the sound of the plot, you you're not going to like it. Um, you know, you can look, find other things in it, but at the same time, if you sat down and just watched it and you didn't know what was coming, well, I think yeah. you'd be gripped. Uh, yeah. You know. If you, if, That's true. If you see that, that the first ten minutes and you're still there, once the truck appears, you're going to be in there. I think. All right. Well, I'll test it. I'll not. I'll not tell him or anything else about where it goes. Right. And I'll and I'll I'll come back to you see see what they say. Oh, that'll be delightful. <laughs> that'll be great. Um, I'll just watch. I'll just watch Ema's face. <laughs> I'll not watch the film to see what see what they're doing. What's happening? <laughs> yeah, fantastic. We're um, doing that. Oh, but yeah, no, she's in for a treat. Um, yeah, man. Uh, 
the last thing I want to say about it is not not really directly related to the film, but just the fact that it it kind of makes me fond of uh, the tradition of nineteen seventies TV horror movies um, that were made in America that probably got shown over here a few years later, probably yeah. mostly in the afternoons, yeah. uh, because uh, with, with as you all know, you know. Um, with American sort of TV censorship the way it was, they couldn't be particularly violent. They couldn't have swearing. Mm. They, were, they were completely family-friendly by those standards. And yet um, some of them were quite scary. And Howard is uh, you know, obviously older than us and kind of grew up with a lot of them. <laughs> um, and he, he's mentioned to me a few that I should check out. A lot of them are on YouTube. Um, yeah. But with Jewel particularly, it makes me really fond and I wish there were more. It's like, can we not have more kind of vehicle-based horror movies? <laughs> um, and I, I know there are a few. There's one that is not a TV movie. It did come out in cinemas in the late 70s called The Car, the which car. I'd like to check out at some point. I've not seen that. The only one that I can think of is that well, the much more modern one, Death Proof. That's oh the yeah, car one, yeah, isn't it? yeah, that's true. Which I did the en- grindhouse thing. I did enjoy. Um, I've not seen, you know, how it, again like Jewel, um, because it was made for a double bill, but then it was released as two separate films because yeah. the studio lost confidence in they did in the double bill shame. idea. So they padded out both films, didn't they? Yeah. And therefore, apparently, Death Proof has loads of extra talking scenes in yeah, it, which, which I, I have never seen because it's I, just not needed. We well, you know how well it's Tarantino vehicle, isn't it? Mm. So <laughs> vehicle. Um, <laughs> but this Tarantino can't write scripts for women, mm. and so there's really extended sequences in Death Proof of the female characters sat around in a cafe or a bar or wherever talking, and it's like. Women don't talk like that. And mm. when he writes his gangster male characters talking, again, men probably don't, you know, don't talk like that. But at least they've got a topic to talk about, either the upcoming robbery or high store, mm. what happened last night or whatever. But the women in Death Proof, when they're talking, it, he's just tried to write women talking, and it's like, yeah, <laughs> it... no. So those sequences just kill. The rest of the film, which where all the driving sequences, yeah, the, are brilliant. The stunt stuff is incredible. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, and like Zoe Bell does amazing stunt work. You know, hanging onto the bonnet of a speeding oh, car and stuff. It's just like, yeah, he, he knows what he's doing. She knows what she's doing. He's employed the right person, but then he's also given her massive scenes where she just has to talk. And that's yeah. like, not what she's great at. She's a fantastic <laughs> stunt woman. Um, but yeah, but no, I did enjoy that movie. Um, you know, there's a little bit of uh, John Carpenter's Christine is a car horror movie. Yeah, you know, um, there's something called The Hearse. Who calls a car Christine? <laughs> Sorry. Oh, right, it's interesting. <laughs> uh, that's not the, the first criticism I would have of that movie. Um, it never really occurred to me that that was a problem, but um, <laughs> this is my car, Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they could have called it all kinds of things. Can you imagine if the movie was called Deirdre or, or something? Um, uh, but, uh, one with a scarier title, which will be the last one I mention, uh, that, uh, um, which was one of those movies that was made in the 70s, and this one wasn't good enough for them to expand it into a theatrical feature, but I saw it when I was about four and it scared me, and I still enjoy it, and I think... 
most of the reason is that it kind of reminds me of Duel because it's so simple. It's a movie called Killdozer. Do you know that one, Stella? Uh, the name rings a bell, and I'm pretty sure I can imagine what it's about. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, does, well, it's this basically. When, this is how simple it is. When I was four, I thought to myself. I'd write a horror film called Killdozer because it's like Bulldozer but has killing in it. And then I, I found out that there already was one. It was like, oh, right. And uh, yeah, it, again, it's based on a short story and it, it, it's like four guys are working on a construction pro project on a tiny American island and they have a bulldozer which gets hit by a meteor which makes it come to life for some reason and then yep. kills them all. Um, <laughs> but I like the the real simplicity of it, the bare bones suspense of it. Um, and it's not nearly as good as Duel, but it's the nearest thing to Duel, I suppose. Yeah. I just wish there was more stuff like that. Um, but but I also I really like the fact that those movies, because they couldn't have swearing and sex and violence in them, they had to be a bit more inventive, but they still had, yeah. you know, there were still movies shot on film. They had that atmospheric yeah. photography and they, they looked kind of big budget in a way which British stuff <coughs> of the time didn't. Um, it forces creativity, doesn't it? When you, when there's a whole load of things you can't do, you have to be more creative with what you can do. Yeah. And loads of the stuff, particularly the made-for-TV movies in America in the 70s, like you said, just nailed it because they had to do more with less. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Oh, another one worth mentioning and recommending to, to listeners <laughs> is The Night Stalker, which is the yeah. 1971 vampire TV movie also written by Richard Matheson, although not based on a, no a novel by him. Um, not I Am Legend, is it? It's not based on that. No, no, it's 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 based on an unpublished novel called The Kolchak Tapes by... Oh, I can't remember the name of the writer, but he later went on to create a whole series based on yeah, that. Kolchak, yeah, Kolchak, The Night Stalker, yeah. Um, it, which is great, if you can get hold of that. I've never seen the show, but um, I've seen that movie, and it is really good. I know Howard's a huge fan of, of the show. Um, mm. And there's another TV movie as well that was also written by Matheson called The Night Strangler, which is the in-between mm. sequel to The Night Stalker, but before the series. Um, so they're really good. <laughs> Down with Covid here one final time to talk about the TV movie version of Duel. Which version do I prefer? Some would say that the original version is better. Certainly somebody who does that is Josh Olsen who's got a very nice little piece about Duel on the trailers from Hell Channel. I'll include a link to that in the show notes. He describes the original version as tighter and leaner, um, which it is. But what I'm surprised to say is I'm not really sure which version's best. When I started watching the shorter version, I initially thought I certainly prefer the later movie edit. The TV version certainly loses the, the kind of atmospheric quiet opening in which man drives out of the city. Um, and therefore, it loses the, the very gradual build-up of tension, or at least some of that. The TV version, like the short story, pretty much starts with man driving past the truck and that is the inciting incident 
of the story after all that's where it begins um, also in the TV version as I suspected the sound editing doesn't seem to be as subtle or impressive the use of, of the different engine noises and things is a bit muddier and there are a few points where um, the meaning of the action on screen is underlined with a piece of voiceover which makes it less subtle. Uh, I, th- I like to think maybe in editing the TV version of the film, the filmmakers thought that, you know, the audience is being distracted by a commercial break every few minutes, so we need to make sure that they pick up on every point. So, for instance, at the moment when the truck waves man to overtake it and waves him straight into the path of an oncoming vehicle and nearly causes a crash. In the movie version, that's just a visual sequence, really. But in the TV version, there is a voiceover from man where he kind of says, My God, he wanted me to hit that truck. Which, you know, we, we can tell that from what happened and from his reaction. Um, but maybe it needs a little more spelling out when you do have commercials and things competing for your attention. So I didn't like things like that as much. And also there's um, slightly more swearing in the, the movie version. Um, I don't like the TV one where it's more sanitised language. There's certainly a bit where a uh, man in the... A theatrical movie calls the truck a fat ass truck, and that's a redubbed line in the original. He calls it fat um, ended, and obviously that sounds a little bit sillier. Um, so I'm glad that they were able to make changes like that. But also, I suppose it's not a difference of quality, it's a difference of approach that the TV version. Um, does not expect the audience to have the same level of concentration on the movie as a theatre audience would. In the cinema, you know, the audience will be watching that movie and hopefully thinking about nothing except that movie for 90 minutes. So you can do a slow build-up, you can do subtle foreshadowing and callbacks, which the audience will pick up on, which they may not if they're also if they're at home, they've got their family around them, and they've got commercials coming on and going off, so I think it's two different approaches. Having said that, I did find myself enjoying the TV version um, pretty much just as much. It isn't really harmed by not having the big scenes in it that were added to the theatrical version, so it doesn't have the conversation with the wife he doesn't have the sequence with the school bus by the way i never said this to get to stella but don't you love the bit or i do anyway in the sequence with the school bus where the truck appears at the end of the tunnel and when man sees it there waiting in the shadows its headlights switch on as if it's opening its eyes and they're seeing each other wonderful moment so the, the tv movie doesn't have that Um, It doesn't have the bit with the train, uh, the bit where the truck tries to force man into the path of a train. And the TV movie doesn't miss those scenes, even though they are very good scenes. And what it does have instead is it has a little more voiceover from man as he's driving along just in the quiet moments. Um, And these are mostly adapted lines from the narration of the short story, which give more of a sense of man's personality and more of a sense of the the style of writing of the short story. I like that 
when it isn't just being used to point out something which we can work out from what's on the screen, like man saying how scared he is um, when he we can tell he's scared from his face um, that sort of thing but when it's just man's thoughts kind of being more philosophical or humorous I quite like it and it contributes to that sense of you know this is a man kind of alone with his thoughts on the road which he is in the quieter sections of the movie overall what I'm trying to say is, I'm not sure which is the best version. I think they're both good. I think if, you, if you're going to see only one version of the film, obviously go for the theatrical one. It's technically sharper because that's the version that you'll get on Blu-ray and DVD. It's the version that you'll get on digital platforms. It's the version that has the, the superior sound quality and visual quality and has been restored over the years. So it obviously stands up beautifully and it will be easy for you to get access to but i'm just delighted that i found the tv movie version and that it's great as well because that means i can alternate which version i watch if i alternate them it will be even harder to remember what's going to happen next when I sit down to watch the film again, as I obviously will quite regularly. So now you have thoughts from myself and from Stella about both versions of Duel. Before I go back to pre-Covid version of me and Stella, I'll just mention we've had Covid in our house, my mum's had it. I've had it, I was worse than her. She's got over it now and is testing negative. I'm still testing positive, but I think I'm over the worst. But as I record this now, um, I'm still testing positive. At least when I've come to record this, my voice isn't in an absolutely terrible state, because I did imagine that when I recorded these COVID me inserts, you'd be able to tell which bits were inserts and which were from the original discussion because my voice was so much worse. Hopefully that isn't really the case. Um, anyway, that concludes my additional COVID thoughts about Jewel. Back to the past. I'm really pleased that I have loads of Richard Matheson to discover because I, <laughs> I love him like I think I love him like I love Nigel Neal. I think they're they're both they're, he's like the American version of Nigel Neal. They both wrote really good stories, short stories basically in TV, but ended up having a movie career later in their lives. Mm. And it's weird that um, Nigel Neal wrote Halloween three. Richard Matheson wrote Jaws three. Which one's better? <laughs> Don't make me don't make me answer. <laughs> both let's say troubled productions. <laughs> don't make me yeah. give something away. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you know, so um I shall look forward to getting into more Matheson short stories as I've had to download yeah. a load of them to to listen to Jewel. Um but uh he was a master and I remember reading an interview with him where he said I hate subplots, I never have subplots, which I kind of <laughs> love that, his stories Fair are enough. just really straightforward um, and, uh, I mean you've read I Am Legend haven't you yeah. that, that's a novella Loved it. but it's, yeah it's just so simple again it's basically one character isn't it it's literally, one character in one place yeah. just his, his house isn't it, that's it yeah yeah. And, um, yeah it's fabulous stuff um, yeah all right then, Stella, so I think we've had great fun harping on about Jewel. 
um, this has been a long time coming. Um, yeah. And uh, I feel like watching it again now. Um, you've you've got it, time. It's only twenty past eight at night. You could stick it on. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, <laughs> it's nice and quick as well. That's that's what's great. That's another reason yeah. why it's so great. So do enjoy a short movie these days, you know. So yeah, they they're a rare thing. So listener, mm. if you haven't seen it and you've got a, a a spare hour and a half, you know you couldn't use it better. Go mm-hmm. for Jewel. Stella, this has been an absolute pleasure as always. Yep. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Next time. We'll have something different to talk about. Who knows what? <laughs> I hope it will be something about which we can be equally enthusiastic. Dear listener, thank you for listening. Stay tuned. We will have another episode out soon. And I said Happy New Year last week, didn't I? But, you know, hope 2023 is working out for you so far. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is it? I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> well, January never works out for anyone, does it? Oh, yeah, that's true. It? So, Remember, it's still January, yeah. so it's still allowed to be bobbins. But yeah, All we right. have to get through these next few weeks. Yeah. All right. Well, All right. See you soon. Thank you, Star. Be seeing you. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You have been listening to And Now the Podcast Starts. Produced and released by Ambidextrous Solutions Limited. Presented by Stella Gaynor and T.D. Velasquez. Special thanks to Greg Hume for our original theme music and to Brian Gorman for our original artwork. All dialogue and music clips from films, TV shows, and trailers are used for the purposes of criticism in the spirit of fair dealing as defined in UK law and fair use as defined in US law. No copyright infringement is intended. Please visit our home on the web, www.andnowpodcast.com, for more content and contact details. Or visit our Facebook pages, at AndNowPod or at LeeCushingPod. Follow us on Twitter, at AndNowPodcast or at LeeCushingPodcast. If you'd like to donate to us, please visit patreon.com forward slash AndNowPodcast. And now, the podcast stops.